Are you a real estate investor looking to sharpen your skills or a newbie looking to become one? You're in the right place. Welcome to Where Should I Invest? Real Estate Investing in Canada with your host, Sarah Larby. Hey guys, welcome back. This week I have Dave Knight and I wanted to do another one of those special episodes where we are just drinking wine and shooting the shit and just talking about like how everything is is unraveling in this crazy chaotic covid world and being landlords and real estate investors and you know how we're dealing with social isolation so we thought we would uh we would have two podcasters come together and uh try to keep it real as much as possible here is the thing these are just our opinions do not take it for face value necessarily do your own research i'm not responsible for anything i say Dave is not responsible for anything he says either, but welcome to the show. How are you? <laughs> That's a good little blurb. I should put that before my normal podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it is a crazy time. And, and what's even crazier is actually, first off, cheers, by the way. Cheers. cheers. Red uh, wine. Hey, you're, you're drinking red wine too. Is that your type of wine? Yeah, I'm a, I'm more of a red guy. I'm not into the white as much. And I like the, the heavy, thick kind of oaky kind of wine. So Aaron just buys it for me. I just tell her I like the cab sab and she'll, she just does the rest. So <laughs> yeah, I, I am the same. I think I'm drinking a Rufino right now, but, uh, I like the bold wine. Yeah. I like the red wines, the Oak finished yeah, wines, yeah, yeah. the fruity wines. I'm, I'm not so keen on. I just always look for the, uh, the bold and firm in the, in the LCBOs and then, That's it. And then I just go from there. That's so. it. So things are, are pretty crazy. I don't know if you've actually, so there's a couple things that have recently transpired. First thing, and I don't know if you've heard of this. What's that? The bank recently, this like, this came out yesterday to brokers and it should have been announced today that they said that now moving forward, HELOCs will no longer be able to be used as down payments for investment properties or as down payments. No, I didn't hear that. Yeah. So like, that's how we scale. Exactly. So is that going to be a temporary thing? Did they say, or that can't be, that can't be a long-term deal. I really hope not. So like one of the concerns I have, so they're, they're coming out with this, right? I mean, you can always refinance and you do a cash out refi, but a lot of the time you want the ability to not have to pay extra and just do a HELOC. And when you have a deal, then that's at that point in time, you can calculate the cost to service that HELOC into the new, the new property. But my concern is, you know, once started doing this, the other ones usually follow suit, right? And I'm actually kind of surprised because you said Scotia, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're like the most investor friendly ones usually. Exactly. That's what I was just about to say. It's kind of strange, but I've also heard that they've been a little bit more, like they've been clamping down more than, than others too, just from people that I've talked to as far as like a Scotia's concerned. Now, I don't know. I don't know if that's because maybe they're a little bit more leveraged because of us or maybe like higher risk, so to speak, and, you know, which I don't necessarily consider it high risk. But I don't know, just the way that they their ratio is concerned. Is it is that, is that a concerning? I don't know why they would do that. I don't either. Here's the thing is there's always workarounds. I can't formally say what the workaround is and record it. But here's the thing is they need proof of payment for 90 days or more. Just leaving it at that. <laughs> No, I know. There's always creative ways and tactical ways you can you can work around those stuff. But I mean, I guess do they have to track proof of of transfer of funds too? And I mean, where how can you? Months. Yeah, but I just wonder, you know, how they can really trace that for. Anyway, that's that's a strategic conversation you got to have with your broker. <laughs> that's it. Work with a mortgage broker. So, what are some of the crazy things you're hearing, and how's everything going for you when it comes to all of this crazy chaos? Yeah, I think the interesting thing is just I've been keeping up to date, honestly, just through through podcasts. Like I've been listening to yours and a few others and just kind of hearing kind of rumblings of what's going on down in the U.S. as well. But I mean, I've had my head down and just focusing on what I'm doing. And I find like during these kind of times, that's really what you got to do. And you just every day changes. So, you know, we could be talking about you know, Scotia today. And then by the time this releases, I don't know how long that's going to be, but all the banks could, could be doing that. It'd just be common knowledge. So things literally change day, day by day. But then also you talk to people and depending on who they talk to for customer service, uh, whether it's be like deferring or deferring their, their mortgage or, or, or whatever, 
they're, they're getting different answers. So I find that like the, I don't know, it just depends on who you talk to. You're getting different answers and things are changing all the time. So who knows how long this home equity line of credit rule is going to be in play. But uh, as far as me, I'm fortunate in a sense that I actually uh, sold a bunch of my properties, as you know, uh, a few years ago and actually in last year. So I have student rentals right now and the rest is mostly into apartments. So just the scale of that and being a passive investor, uh, just talking to the, um, the investor down there, everything's, everything's going fine. I mean, they've lowered a little bit for, for the income, but the NOI, but other than that, the scale has been fine and the cash flow has been fine and there hasn't been any disruptions. So I've just been fortunate. That's good. So you've got a few projects, I think that you've got going on Hamilton, et cetera. Like, what are you working on these days? Yeah. So I'm in the kind of the final leg of, uh, my conversion. So I had a single, for those of you who don't know, I had a single family home and I'm converting into a multifamily. So I'm just at the painting stage right now. Things slowed down quite a bit. I would have hoped to be, to have been done by now this week or so, but it looks like I'll be another probably two to three weeks. As you know, Rob, he does some of your stuff too. He's a good guy. So I'm always pushing him. (laughs) He's a good guy. guy. He does does great work. I, I will say I've been more hands off in his project that he's done for me than I've ever had to be in the past like i've always had to babysit in the past yeah but like him i'm just like just send me a video and we're gonna act- we're actually gonna go see it tonight yeah i'm not driving matt will drive <laughs> but uh he's yeah. Good work. yeah you always pay for that too i mean a little bit more hands off but it, i mean the peace of mind that you, that probably you and i both have now is is night and day compared to what i had before because i was like you before my last one that i did i was all hands-on i was kind of learning a little bit more as i went and I didn't really have much systems down and I spent a lot of my own time figuring stuff out. So it's been a nice experience, but it's just, we're all dealing with the same thing. Everything slowed right down. So, yeah. So are, are they having just one person on the project? No. Well, it depends on what, what day <laughs> <laughs> it's been hit and miss, but for the most part, there's, there's been a few people on the job. There's a lot of guys. I mean, the last few weeks have been really difficult because one some people didn't want to work. And then two, we didn't know, like there's some factories that have been closed down. So just getting materials was difficult. Kind of outsourcing that, trying to figure out who's open or who can we can sneak over to try and do some work. <laughs> and uh, it's just the, the way it is. So, but no, there hasn't been many. I mean, obviously safety and everything is number one. So there, there hasn't been more than, than about four people in the, in the property. So, and it's different units too, right? So people are in different, different levels of the house. That's true. That's a good point. Yeah. Mine's just like a, a single technically. I mean, it's two, it's two units, but not, not really two units. You know what I mean? Like we're, I think we were originally planning on moving into it, but I think, I think we might sell it and try to get like a couple cottages or something. Yeah. I remember you guys were planning on moving in there. So what happened? What was your thought process? I mean, obviously times have changed, so maybe that's obviously a big one, but. Yeah. So I, I wanted to Airbnb it. So, so we were kind of going back and forth because like part of it is like the comfort of living in our house right now and not moving anything and not having to do any work with moving. Mm-hmm. And then the other part, I'm like, okay, well, then before COVID, we're like, okay, maybe we can, because it's, it's technically two units. We were going to live in it. We're going to Airbnb the basement like here and there. Right. But we're like, well, we might as well Airbnb both of those units. And then like essentially it would pay for us to live for free in Oakville. But I don't know if you know you know, I voted for Ford and I'm, I'm very disappointed with him right now. <laughs> Politics, it is what it is, but he just put a fine. Anybody that right now, like recently this came out two days ago. Mm. So depending on when this airs, it might be old news, but there's a hundred thousand dollar penalty or a fine for short-term rentals. He has banned them. I know I did. I did know that. And I was actually just reading it before I'm in a group chat with well, Matt and a few guys we were going to go to the cottage. But uh, anyway, someone posted. Uh, yeah, the outline of that. It's crazy. So April 4th, I guess, is the was the deadline for that. Is that is that right? I'm just going to bring it up here. Well, I think it's just moving forward. Anything short term is not approved. I mean, I guess unless you rent to people that need yeah. assistance. Yeah, it says every person who who provides short-term rentals and rental accommodations shall ensure that any rentals booked after April 4th are only provided to individuals who are in need of housing during the emergency period. 
So it does not apply to obviously hotels, motels, and student rentals or students, sorry, student residencies. So what are your thoughts? I would prefer them to come down with more of a safety regulation and health regulation on those type of rentals rather than just a strict ban. I mean, you're just completely eliminating income for people's livelihoods, let alone, I mean, an investment. It's just, it's it's shutting everything down, but I just, I think for specifically short-term rentals, they could probably plan it out a little bit better. You know what I mean? Like, what's the concern of short-term rentals? Obviously, is the health and, health and safety, I would assume, is number one. Yeah, so- I hope so. But I want to tell you what my, my thoughts are after. But I hope that's what it is. Rabbit hole of conspiracy <laughs> theories? Because I will. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> no, but I mean, for the most part, I mean, I, I would think that the concern would be people, you know, going in, in and out of, uh, of homes and not being, you know, sanitized and cleaned properly and germs and blah, blah, blah. So, I mean, if they had a protocol in place, maybe even services that they regulated or, I don't know, something. But... I don't know. They're just cranking down, crank it down, making it harder and harder for us to to make a buck. Like they're just compressing and controlling everything. You know. I know. It's driving me crazy. So here are my thoughts okay. on on this. I think the the hotel industry cuz a lot of it was coming from Airbnb, right? And isn't that a, Oh, a here we go. I, I know where you're going now. But yeah, okay, go ahead. I don't know. But why, why would they, why, why would they find a hundred thousand dollars? Here's the thing. If you had, I mean, and you and Aaron are good, Matt and I are good, but like, imagine if your relationship wasn't good and you had to be living with someone for like 24 seven for mm-hmm. how many weeks, it's, there's going to be a lot of unfortunate divorces coming out of this. People are going to want a place to like move into for three months or a month until they find something like they're taking that option away. And I think. What's, what's the fine process. I mean, like, you know, I've, I've talked to a couple of bylaw guys and they're as confused as the next person. I mean, like, how do you go in and regulate an Airbnb saying that someone's coming in and out? No. Someone's like, oh yeah, it's a short-term Airbnb. Oh no, I've, you know, I'm here for six months. Okay, well, what's short-term? You know, like it doesn't even say in the regulation what that short-term period is defined as. And maybe it, maybe it is somewhere, I don't know. Yeah, it is somewhere. I think it, like it's 28 days, but, but do you think... Hey, just a theory. And I, because we're drinking wine, these are opinions. We're allowed to share opinions. And like, if you guys don't like them, just turn, tune them off and listen to the regular podcast. But <laughs> okay. So Ontario has a huge housing shortage issue and rental issue when it comes to like, there's all of this talk about like how like rents are so high, rents are unfairly high, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. Do you think, and because the landlord tenant board is being shut down. And I really hope it's just because of health and whatever, and they haven't th- thought this through. But the landlord tenant board is shut down. As an investor, if I have a tenant that doesn't pay, it's gonna take me 18 months easily mm. to get them out. I might pay them cash for keys to hopefully get them to agree to it and get the hell out of my property if they're not paying. Luckily I have good tenants, so yeah. I'm not talking about my tenants here. But as an investor or a newer investor, you might just say, you know what? I'm not going to even take that chance right now of having the board be shut and having a tenant that can't pay and having to wait 18 months and having to carry this whole thing. I'd rather just go short term or I'm going to sell. So do you think it's a way for them to say, we just want to make sure that the, the investors don't think that way. And we want to create more supply. So the rents start coming down by having some long-term options. Well, I think the uneducated investor, that might be the case. People freak out and start selling and that kind of, supply comes on the market i mean don't you think that in a world where i mean the community that we're in everyone's very interconnected everyone's sharing information you know there's more podcasts now there's more social media i mean not all social media is obviously accurate but i would like to think that it wouldn't go to that degree that there's going to be that much supply because people unload but unload or decide to take their airbnb to long-term rentals so now there is more options for people and if there's more options of supply and demand you know, mm-hmm. maybe anything's possible. I just think the longer this goes, people are going to get absolutely crushed and it's going to change. I mean, for small businesses and everything is more what, what I'm talking about, but I mean that obviously that everything is all interconnected, but yeah, I could, I, I could see that more control, more and more, more availability because of the, the short-term rentals not being allowed and then opening up to, to more availability. Yeah, I could see that. 
Because otherwise, how else are we getting housing? I, I saw a stat today. I don't know if I took a photo of it. But it was... Actually, let, let me find it here. There was a supply gap of almost 27,000 units needed for that were needed. So the demand just can't be met. And that's before all of this delay in construction and, and availability. Like, think about that. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, think about on the, on the flip side, that'll actually increase. Like, if this, if this keeps going out, that'll actually increase uh, rental demand. And then obviously, you know, re- request for, for payments. I mean, yeah, because I mean, what, so one of the things is I was going to potentially take one of my Brantford properties and Airbnb it. But, you know, the other thing, and I was talking to Harry Fine yesterday and he was on our, our webinar mm-hmm. for the Right Club. And Harry Fine, for those, those listeners, he's a former adjudicator at the Landlord Tenant Board. Like he's been there years and years and years. He knows what he's doing. You know what his advice was? Yeah. Don't rent, leave it empty or get six months cash up front from your tenants, six months of payments, or just hang in there until it's all over. And it's better to leave an empty unit empty instead of putting a tenant and then having them fall behind because you are going to spend way more by the time that you actually get to the board and get an eviction. That's an interesting approach, but I mean, that there's a lot of people that are, that are stuck and screwed in where they are, especially if you're already battling it out with a tenant. I mean, that's going to prolong thing like hell so what are you doing like what are you doing these days like how are you managing your so business? so like i didn't yeah i kind of stopped earlier but basically so I'm, I'm doing that transition into uh multi unit there so in my project in hamilton so basically i'm at a time now where i'm coming to the end i'm just waiting to get to a certain point where i start advertising and getting some some photos up there and doing a virtual you know, shots and video and everything. So people can kind of not actually go, but can see it online. And I don't know, like, I'm not sure exactly how the market is right now for renters, but I think obviously everything's slowed down, but I think I'm going to have a better filter of, of possibilities and tenants and applications because the only people that can afford first and last are going to be the ones that still have a job. I would like to think, right? So here's my thing is I'm probably going to ask people to give me even if it's a year from now or two years from now i want to see their bank statements from march april may and depending on how long this lasts potentially june i want to know if they if they had a job at that time but regardless about that like separately from that did they pay their tenant or their landlord did they have money to pay did they not have money to pay did they come up with an arrangement there's a lot of tenants on strike trying to create these striking groups not paying even if they can. And there's some people that just plan really like very close to the edge where a $500 mishap mm-hmm. is the end of them. And I know there's a lot of people in that situation. I'm not saying that like health first, like I, I care for people, of course, like I am a good landlord. My tenants do like me. I like my tenants, but I, the only thing we have to protect, the only thing that we have control over yes. is screening. The second they have the keys, we're just... Like really, like let's face it, we're fucked at the end of the day. They have the keys. If they wanted to fuck us over, unfortunately, they could. So screening them to make sure that you don't have those people that that can or would do that is huge. Yeah. I mean, there also comes a line where people say say, well, you know, I guess you get I always think of like both sides, right? And how how to expect it. Or some people are gonna say, Well, I'm not gonna show you all my bank records. I mean, like how invasive is that? I mean, tenants are, you know. Exactly. And I mean, can, can they falsify that? And how do you know that? You know, I've seen some crazy stuff even through work where you can't even tell what's real and what's not. I mean, they can fabricate some bank statements. And then how do you even know that that's true or not? You know what I mean? And I will say, for those of you listening, Dave is a police officer. So he doesn't know what he's talking about. Yeah, exactly. So I don't trust anyone. That's why <laughs> I find my tenants have been pretty good. And, uh, and I get very good and I know you're, you know, you can't discriminate or you can't, you know, you have to have a certain system so you can justify your reasoning for getting people in your certain units and stuff. But when you, when you interact with certain people like Matt and I do over, over the years, you get a pretty good judgment of people and judgment of character, like in the first two seconds. So, I mean, obviously then they, they got to prove themselves to you through, through different ways that we screen, but yeah, I don't know. It's, uh. I mean, moving forward, definitely, I personally, I'm going to be looking at different ways that you can 
limit your risk. I mean, the one thing is six months. I mean, a lot of people, the average people don't have six months of rent even saved. And so that'd be a hard one, like three months, maybe like just, just to see where they're at, even almost like a sense of, you know, how much capital do they really have? But I mean, if they got six months of rent I mean, they can almost, you know, with a little bit of help of somewhere else, they can almost go sometimes even go buy something, you know? Yeah. I mean, sometimes I find that their credit is not a hundred percent, but they might have the cash. I agree with you. It's probably not realistic for a tenant to have six months. If you're comfortable with three months and four months, that's fine. For me, I almost would just rather let it like sit vacant until this is all over. Well, that's an option. I mean, obviously I got a lot of scenarios thinking in my head because I'm kind of in that exact same boat. It's like, do I, do I push forward and try and find a few good tenants to fill my thing? Cause originally my plan was to fill it and then sell it. So I was flipping as a turnkey and I have, you know, my numbers are fine. So I could refinance and still be fine and pay back my investors with a little bit of capital in, in the property. But I was already prepared for that as like a buy and hold situation with that one. But you know, the other thing I'm worried about too, to just throw at you, I don't know if you heard more, but uh, just it's things are clamping down for the refis too. I mean, specifically my strategy is, you know, not my refi isn't on comparables, it's on the income. So are they going to be as lenient or liberal on, on lending just on the income versus maybe other comparables on, in the area? You know, I mean, that's the tough thing. Cause I will say like, I had two refis recently, like in the last two weeks and they both came much lower than I thought. So I'm mm-hmm. fighting both of them. And just to give you an idea. So one house I know is like 370. So they came back at 320, mm-hmm. 325. I'm like, how do you even come up with this number? So I sent yeah. them a bunch of comparables. And by the way, just if you're refinancing something, just like add like three times the amount of time mm. that it's going to take regularly because mm. like they're so backed up. So I like send them a bunch of comparables and a bunch of comparables. Cheers, by the way. If you guys are listening to this, he's just pouring himself some more wine. <laughs> but, <laughs> so I sent them some, some comparables and they brought it up to 340. And I'm like, fine, whatever. I'll just take the 340. But it's crazy how much lower... Mm-hmm. They're coming in. At- and that's, and that's the other thing too, is my option C <laughs> was to literally do that. Pay out my, pay out my one investor, have my second investor stay in with me and just pay cash flow to them and do more like a JV situation and do some type of agreement, but hold on for however long it needs to be until this market turns around or it gets a little bit more stable or, or what, but yeah. So if you had a crystal ball, which you don't, but we're just going to speculate for fun because why not? Like, when do you think we're actually going to be like, oh shit, this is the the aftermath. And how long do you think that aftermath is going to take to recover? Oof. I mean, who knows? Some people are saying like a couple of years and some people are saying like three months. So I don't know. I just, I don't think it's going to be quick, to be honest. I mean, there's such a impact. I think this is going to go at least a couple more months of shut down, slow down, and at least until that curve starts, starts, you know, coming down for people getting infected. So I, I don't know, I think at least a couple more months, and then I don't know how long this will last. I think it depends on on, on the impact of, of small businesses, and just the economy in general, because if this goes any longer than I would say a few months, it's going to be a long recovery, long recovery. Yeah. Yeah. Well, here's, here's my thought. But I also think that there's still a lot of like, like last time, 2008, there was a credit issue and there was no lending, right? So the banks all seized up. Well, that's not really the case this time where everything's just kind of shut down, but everyone, everything was still humming really, really well. So, I mean, I'm not an economist and I don't pretend to be, but I mean, I would assume, I mean, the feeling that I get is everything was rocking and rolling and then it was just kind of shut off. So when it gets shut back on or turned back on again, you would think that everyone's eager, ready to work, ready to go out, ready to spend money back into restaurants, you know, everyone feels safe and starts spending again. I think things could, could ramp up pretty quick. Don't you? Maybe in some markets. So here, here are my thoughts on it. So I think right now people are like doing a wait and see approach. Even I was talking to about three private lenders last week who work with a lot of investors and they invest anywhere between a mil to a hundred million and on average that's what they try to do a year 
in terms of loans, their loan to value ratio is dropping from like 80 to 75 to 70. So they're not as, and then, and then that's the ones that are loaning. Right. But separately, and again, these are opinions and like, I don't have any facts. These are just my choices and my thoughts in my head (laughs) over a glass of wine. But okay. So all of these people are taking these mortgage deferrals. Government is doing the CERB for four months. A lot of jobs are not coming back. Like, I think it was like stats today, 400,000 jobs are just mm. gone forever. And that's just right now, depending, like, like you said, if this goes on and on and on, it's going to be much worse. But the people that are deferring their mortgages right now, because they can't afford to pay, hopefully that's the reason, because otherwise, please pay your mortgage. Like, there's so many reasons, you know, and I'm not going to get into that. <laughs> we can, but pay your mortgage. But if you can't and you're doing the deferral, what happens in six months if those people don't have jobs? What happens in six months if those people don't have tenants paying those mm-hmm. mortgages? So I think that we're going to actually feel it in about six to nine months. Just my thoughts. I think for us, especially, everyone's all worried about April 1st. But like you said, it's, I mean, it's May, June, July 1st that, that I'm more worried about of people, right? I mean, people aren't getting their jobs back and this is prolonging and not everyone's I mean, it depends on the situation you're able to defer it, but I mean, it goes a little deeper than just paying our mortgage, right? So, so I oh, mean, absolutely. It, again, I think it all comes down to how long this this shutdown lasts. I mean, everything's just so connected. If one thing gets shut down, everyone everything gets shut down. You know, it's like it's like the speed wobble. We're going so well with the tire, and then as soon as you, you start losing that momentum and you start getting away, everything goes out of whack. So, do you think this is the right strategy? Because, like, okay, so there's like this strategy with like, you know the whole social social isolation and like pretty much shutting down everything that's not essential yeah. and most countries are doing this and then there's sweden have you heard of sweden uh what about so they are not following this everything shuts down they're cautioning their people and the economy is still flowing and, and how's are the still open. how's the how's the rate of uh infection there it's similar so, i don't know this is where you start getting into your uh conspiracy theory <laughs> i don't know like why why wouldn't that wouldn't that be a reason for a country to shut people down because of safety and then if they're not and their their infection rate or their death rate or or whatever it is, is isn't as you know isn't worse than what we are then then what the hell's going on it's interesting i will say like i love canada but like the control right now the airbnb and everything that's happening i just i hope everyone stays safe and it's it's important to have people that are healthy and safe in this and that but is it worth doing that? Is it worse than heart attacks? Is it worse than suicides? Is it worse than overdosing? Is it worse than all of these things? Is it bad enough to shut the whole economy down where we've got- <laughs> like, The whole world economy? isn't shut down right now. And I, like, I know Sweden's going and maybe their, dom- and maybe their import exporting isn't like others, but I mean, their domestic economy is still, still flowing. But what bothered me right from the get go is I'm the type of person, if you're going to do something, just do it. Like, I felt like this shutdown was kind of a half-ass shutdown. It was a bit of a, like they're, they're doing it all in stages and I get it. And sometimes it's like psychological reasons. You can't just shut people down. People freak out, right? Look at all the toilet paper and all that bullshit that was going on. People going on the grocery, like, what the hell was that? And, uh, like there was a point there where they said people need to be quarantined for, for 14 days. So two weeks. Perfect. So they came out in stages and then they came out in another stage and they came out with the essentials. And then it was like a whole huge long list of us. Like everyone was an essential. And then. I know. And it's like, hey, yeah, like I was, I, I remember I was sitting at work and I was talking to Rob and I'm like, dude, man, like, I think uh, we're going to be shut down here. So, and then they come out with the list. So I like screenshot, I sent him. I'm like, wait, how do you, how are you going to get shut down? Oh, you mean the construction, not the police? No, 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 no. Yeah. Yeah. So the, our, our job, like our, our renovation. And, uh, and I just laughed when I started reading the list. I'm like, this is like everybody. And then I felt bad for the people who had to sh- get shut down because you know, <laughs> roads were still busy at that point. Like the first, um, I think it was, yeah, right after the, there was the, the long list of essentials and people were still driving and walking around and going to, you know, Costco and things weren't like, like it was now. And, uh, I don't know. I just feel that they should have this is personally what do i know but if if i think that they should have shut it down real quick real tight give certain guidelines to people real essentials i'm talking groceries even banks bank online whatever your real necessities in life keep those open shut construction down everyone isolate for two to three weeks bite the bullet hit the curve and see what happens there like wouldn't you would think that would 
that would cut things a little bit quicker rather than this long drawn out process that we're doing now. Yeah, I agree. I will say like, I haven't left and haven't gone anywhere except for the bank once mm-hmm. and shoppers once in the last three weeks. But the bank's a fun time to go to. You've been, I mean, I had to go pay Rob. So <laughs> I go to the bank. I'm like, yeah, I'll meet you in about an hour. I just got to go stop off at the bank. And then I get there, like, first thing, I get there early. And the first hour at TD is for seniors. So there's obviously all the seniors are going. So I'm first in line on the, on the second line. And I'm seeing all these seniors go in before me. And it's like, so I finally get in there about a half hour later. But it's, uh, it's, it's not a quick process. But even the bank around the corner from me was shut down for a couple of weeks because someone in there had it. So interesting. It's, uh, I mean, it's wild. I so I know. went to the bank yesterday. I actually, I didn't, I don't know, maybe it was just the time of day. I think it was like three o'clock or something along those lines. And there like, really wasn't anybody there. But here's the thing. So I want to, I want to actually talk to the listeners right now. And I don't know if you're doing this, but like, if mm. your mortgage broker has put you on advanceable mortgages, so like with Scotia, it's called the step mortgage and like everybody has a different different name for it, which essentially what, a, what an advanceable mortgage means is that for every dollar that you pay in principle, you have a dollar of HELOC that opens. So for those people that have that, you probably have some equity there. Here's the thing. And I was talking to my mortgage broker and she's like, you should probably get that available and unlocked so that you can access it because the more credit you have and you never know when they're going to make changes to like Mm. what credit is available and not so i just went and unlocked that and it was like thousands and thousands of like available dollars but it's good to have as a buffer because i'm like i don't know when they're going to say one day you know what we're just going to take that away from people and like things change every day so i have that on my student house and uh yeah that adds up pretty quick. I mean, the most powerful thing in these situations right now is your is your uh, availability to, to to credit or your access to credit. Absolutely, I mean, but you know what a really cool trick is? If that? you have an advanceable mortgage, this is why I don't think people should delay their mortgage payments. Just keep paying your mortgage payment. If you have an advanceable mortgage, take that, pay your mortgage with your advanceable mortgage, and then essentially all the principal that you pay comes back into your HELOC anyways. So you're paying mm. interest payments for like, if, if you need to yeah, have yeah. it available. No, that's smart. Isn't there, isn't that, I had them on, on my podcast, but I don't remember the details of this, the Smith maneuver. Isn't that a similar way of doing things? Have you heard of the Smith maneuver? I have heard of it. Can I tell you what it means? Probably not right now. <laughs> and, I, and I had him on my podcast, so. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's that. Maybe it is. I don't know. All I know is that like advanceable mortgages, just utilize them if instead of deferring your mortgage payments for six months, cause you're going to be better off and you're not going to have to pay interest on interest. Yeah. So I don't, I don't mean to jump too much here, but so LTV, the fact that they're shut down for six months and so well, re- hang on, we didn't, we don't know if it's six months, it could be less, it could be more. Okay. Well I heard six months, so hopefully that <laughs> wait, did you hear Okay, question? Did you hear six months because your courts are closed until September? In my head, I, yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, that's exactly. Oh, no, that's okay. But that's probably very true. That, that is like, so your courts are going to not open until September. Correct. Yeah. So right now, if we're like, yeah, if we like arrest someone or whatever, we're doing a court date. Yeah. It's not until September now. So, but I don't understand why they can't figure out to do things remotely. Like in this day and age, and I know you can call in and I know they're only doing limited hearings. So emergency hearings, whatever the hell that means. But as far as, you know, the everyday person who's not getting paid and everything's all drawn out. And I know a number of people who've been waiting like four or five months and then just got shut down right before this whole thing happened. Now they're going to be waiting another, who knows how long. Right. So I just, I just don't understand why they can't be, be a little bit more proactive considering they were already in a crisis to begin with, you know, like, is there no forward thinkers in that area, in that group or what? The broken system. It is like the one, the main thing that makes my blood boil these days is that broken system. And, but as, as landlords, like we really have to figure out how to create one voice and like fight for this because in a way we're being stepped on by the government by the tenants groups that are organizing and trying to tell others not to rent, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But that is, it's been a broken system and it's been, it's been very geared towards 
tenants. Yeah, hundred percent. It and it, what really opened my eyes is I didn't really realize our system was so lopsided. In my opinion, I mean, don't get me wrong. I, tenants need their rights, and and it, there can't be you know, bullied by, by landlords and there has to be systems in place. I understand that. But if you go outside of our province, especially down in the U S and some are obviously lopsided too, we're more, it's more landlord friendly, but I mean, it's, it makes a little bit more sense down there. I mean, if you can't pay for instance, you know, Florida, if you, if you can't pay your, uh, your rent after six, after 60 days, you're out. Right. I think it's and, and why, and it's the same thing. Like if you had anything that you couldn't pay, like something is going to happen. There is consequences and it doesn't, it shouldn't take months. And I get, you don't want to kick people to the curb and you need to protect people who are in hard situations, but there's obviously resources and programs for that. Where if, if you're, if, if you fit that criteria, then those systems and those, those, uh, programs should be available to you. But it's, it's so lopsided and it's just not efficient and it's just so backed up. And especially for a crisis that we're in, you would think that they would get a little bit more on uh, the proactive side, but yeah, it's fucked. It's so crazy. Yeah. I think a lot of landlords are going to get out of this after this is all said and done. Yeah. So you had uh, what's her name on your last podcast. That was a good one. Uh, Kayla. Yeah. Kayla. Yeah. She's on board with the Ontario landlord watch. Is it? Yeah. So we're starting a lobbying group for landlords. It's going to be Ontario landlords United. I can tell your passion through your life, your story posts that you're doing on Instagram. I was like, she's fired up over there. <laughs> Something's going to come out of this. And you know what? I can't just sit there and like, let this happen to us. I, I will say real estate has been the best thing that happened to me. And I'm here today because of real estate. And I will always say it's great. But the landlord tenant board portion and the fact that some tenants can get in and be professional tenants, right? Quote, unquote, mm. screw the system, screw the, I mean, play with the system because they know it really well mm. and screw over the landlords. Like that's not cool. Yeah. If, and vice versa, like there's bad landlords too. I'm not saying that like all tenants are bad and all landlords are good. Like there's bad for both and there's good for both and most are good for both. For sure. And I find, I find that the, the space that we're in, I know I said this earlier, but like the community of investors in Ontario and, you know, meetup groups and that sort of thing. And people have got podcasts, they're doing a good thing because I feel like that community is well educated, well diverse. They got, you know, they're head on, they're doing things genuinely. For the most part, obviously you got your, you know, your bad apples there anywhere, but, but we're coming from it from like a genuine place and trying to help the other person through, but it's so backlogged. It's, it's just, there's no, there's no one really fighting it. Like you said. So I'm glad that, you know, whatever is going to happen moving forward, we, we can change some things. It's a long uphill battle. Like we really have to like all be on board and we're going to have to hire some lawyers. Like there's going to be some expenses, right? in in order to get this going but you know we gotta we gotta try because if we don't now like this is a great time in a way because everyone's like oh crap what's gonna happen in may oh crap what's gonna happen in june what's gonna happen to me like this is actually good unfortunately it's a good time because everyone feels it yeah versus in when everything is good around us it's like we don't have fire under our asses or we don't have an urgency or we don't have a problem that's like i am angry at how this is happening but a lot of people are like, okay, am I going to get rent on May 1st? Because mm. here's the thing is even if your tenants are good tenants, because all of mine paid, I had one that was like 200 bucks short, but like, she's awesome. And I like, I believe that she will catch up. Yeah. But like, if this goes on till May and then this goes on till June and your rents are in the GTA, you're probably going to fall, like your tenants are falling behind unless they have already a cushion. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then what? I know everyone's in the same boat. It's all going to come crashing down in a certain sense of inability to pay. It's, uh, it's, it's crazy. You know, it's times like this where either there's there's so much opportunity to happen, but also you you see where all everyone's vulnerable and where all the holes are, and it's you know you just got to patch all the holes as quickly as you can and and move forward and kind of persevere, right? And use all your resources possible to get through the hard times, but. I don't know. I keep going back. I don't think it's going to be going for another six months. I can't see it. I can't see, I can't see the, the government letting that happen. I can't see the world, you know, leaders making that happen. Like it just economically things can't go to a halt. I would think for six months. I mean, we're already at, what are we one month now, two months or a month and a half. Yeah. I think there's going to be much bigger problems. Like, I don't know if you can share this, but like has the suicide rates gone up? 
I don't know the stats on that. I know our domestic calls have gone out, our up, our mental health has gone up for sure. More so mental health for sure. Even just little things like people, you know, who already suffer with whatever it is they're dealing with, and then you're you're told that you got, you got a lock in your house and you put other pressures on top of that, you might lose your job. I mean, holy crap! You, the, the weight of the world starts pushing down on you, right? And, you know, you're trying to get out to your doctors and your programs and those are all backed up. Like the whole thing just gets, gets screwed up. So it's a, it's a domino effect in, in everything. Right. But it's uh yeah, like those are definitely increased for sure. I think everybody that's dealing with us right now, once we're through this, like we're going to be so much stronger than we ever were. Like, I, and I think it's going to be something that we can all be proud of. Like, you know, two years from now, this will not be an issue. Like in the long term, this will not be an issue. And I think it's in a way like a really awesome thing that we're like, hey, we we went through this. Mm-hmm. We dealt with it. Here's how we picked ourselves back up. And it might take time. And it should like it should like this is shit. Like it sucks. Right. And like, I'm, I mean, I'm not complaining. Yeah. But it sucks. It's adversity. It's like just persevering through this stuff. And I found I've had this conversation with, with uh, someone else actually just recently. It was like, you know, the last time was 2008. And what was I doing in 2008? Well, I was not an investor. I was not aware of, you know, certain mindset and strengths of investing and and persevering through times like this and how you can prepare and blah, blah, blah. Whereas like now, obviously I'm a little more mature and I'm ready and I'm almost like not enjoying it because no one's enjoying this, but it's, it's like, I'm, I'm ready for anything. Like, I feel like I'm very confident. I can tackle anything that comes our way. There's enough resources. Everyone is dealing with the same shit. You know, it's not like Sarah Larrabee is the only one dealing, going through this. It's, you know, we're all going through this. Right. So whatever comes our way, I'm ready to deal with. And I know like, I'm, I'm not worried. I just, I'm just concerned how, how long this is going to go. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'll tell you, I'm not worried about my financial piece because I, I think I, I, I've always had a good cushion and I've always looked at the good and I looked at the bad times that could happen. Mm. I think I'm more worried about where society is going to go and where society is going to be and the, and the government control mm. and not to speculate, but like what else is happening that we don't even know is happening? Like, why is the U.S. invading Venezuela? Like, why? Well, apparently the cartel was, I don't know. I, honestly, I, 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 don't, I don't even want to make an attempt to sound intelligent on that conversation. <laughs> I just know from the little blurb that I saw was just that, you know, the general down there was saying that it was the drug cartel that was trying to uh, get into the country. And then I also hear that there's, like, human trafficking down there. And then I also hear that there's stuff with the, the drug trafficking and getting getting feedback or bounce back or commissions from from the drug that's infiltrating or sorry, infiltrating the um the border so i have no idea i really have no idea but it's 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 happening and no one's talking about it it's not on the news and it's crazy what's going on down there i mean i think ultimately it's just first and foremost it's important that we're all safe and we're all healthy and like you know i ha- actually have some friends with covid and like unfortunately her mom also got it and she's on the ventilator right now like it 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 sucks right like it sucks but we also have to be i think just aware of like what else is happening around us without like necessarily conspiring but you know we we have to like take a step back and see like what else is happening and yeah through all this i think we just make our own decisions and and this is really and you know what i was talking to gary about this and it's true it's it's a test in mental strength because I mean, we all break down. Like yesterday, I was like so pissed off at anything. But then you hear about like somebody's bomb on a ventilation machine. I'm like, oh shit, my problems are like nothing. Like, suck it up, you know? Yeah. Well, like even even the conspiracy, not conspiracy, but the push for like Bill Gates doing mandatory um, vac- vaccinations. And then did you hear about <laughs> that they, they want to actually force on? On, on, on the people to actually have like a, it's almost like a, a chip where they, they can monitor vaccinations for, for the public to see what you've had, what you haven't had, and then, you know, monitor who knows what. Have you heard yeah. the ID 2020 that uh, is kind of going through Gates? And again, I don't know enough about it. I've just been sending a few stuff on my phone that I kind of read. I saw a couple articles. I mean, a legit 
movement that that he's pushing. Man. Yeah, because everyone's just so worried and isolated, and they can't like they're so concerned about everything else that they don't have time to see like what maybe is actually happening. And I hope, I really just hope that it's not. And I, this is just conspiracy. Yeah, I really. And they just passed the five G, or they're they're pushing that through Congress too. Like I don't know, I don't know enough about it to really even have a have a. Their opinions. I I just know that it's going on and. The average person is probably in the same boat as we are. It's like we're focusing on what we're doing. We're distracted, and other things are happening in the background, way, way above our pay grade, obviously. So, I don't know. I just hope that there's not too much control going on, and we're, we we all get out of this and aren't affected too too much. But mandatory vaccinations is is definitely the one that scares me. It's kind of. I will tell you, Sweden seems like a really awesome country to move to. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a little cold. <laughs> probably too cold for me. But I really don't like being controlled in general. I thought we were supposed to be similar to Sweden. What happened to that? <laughs> I don't know. No. You know what? Here, here's the thing. You know, we'll 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 get out of this at some point. This will be a part of like a story that we're gonna tell about like how this was our life and this was how we came out of it and yeah. you know this is how we came better and like I think we can we can only look to create a positive story out of this horrible time. It is horrible. I cannot even imagine what some people are dealing with. Like, so like for me, it's just Matt and I, for you, it's just Aaron and you, mm. but like people with kids that don't get a break 24 seven. I mean, like, thank you parents. Like yeah. my goodness, like you guys deserve way more credit and you should probably be paid way more to just have the kids and having to take care of the kids and teachers too. And frontline workers and, and all that stuff. But I know I feel, I feel like I'm almost like detached from reality to a certain extent because as you know you know matt's same boat we're an Aaron. she's a paramedic my girlfriend and you know our, our salaries aren't touched things are just moving along like normal i mean obviously we deal with a lot of shit out there and this is just a different part of that shit that we deal with and and nothing really changes for us i mean obviously the health health concerns is obviously a big one but i'm talking about financially like not we just kind of just keep keep moving along and then everyone around us or a lot of people around us are suffering big time and we don't really feel that as the average first responder or healthcare worker or whatever i mean city workers you know depending on what your job is it's just like there's a lot of people suffering out there and i think we got to take a step back and realize that that's why, you know, when you start dealing with your tenants and talking to your tenants, it's people say serve the N4 and do this. And you, you might do that or not, but you need to have that conversation with the people who are going through a really, really serious, hard time and, and work with them and empathize and be compassionate. And rather than just, here you go, see you on the flip side, you know, it's, it's, it's a tough place to be. I 100% agree. I'll tell you, I didn't, I didn't serve an N4 to the tenant that was $200 short because she's been a tenant and she's been amazing since 2015 and paid on time. And like, yeah. you know what, you gotta, you gotta be, and even if you do, you gotta be firm, you gotta be consistent. But here's the thing is that you also have to know your tenants. Exactly. This is good relationships will, will work themselves out throughout of this and, and where relationships that were iffy may not. And we do, try to go above and beyond to make sure our tenants are happy in the homes. If there's any maintenance issues, like we are there, like we organize it. And I mean, I wouldn't redo a kitchen or anything, but like anything that they, they need mm-hmm. maintenance wise, communication wise. Like, I think it's just important to like their clients. I wish the government treated us landlords as clients. Airbnb, I will say is great mm-hmm. to, you know, people like us as tenants, but, or as clients, but it's important to treat them like paying clients because they are paying clients. There's, that's a different side. And then there's the side of tenants that are just looking out to get, you know, back at us and, and that have, you know, something up their asses. There's, there's, it's just a different spectrum. Just like there's like slumlords. Yeah. There's horrible, horrible landlords out there. Hopefully you are not, and I know you are not because you're listening to this. So you want to do things and, uh, and improve and do well and, and learn. There's some slumlords out there and I hear some stories. That's, you know, unfortunate too. Fortunately, they give us a bad rap and then the bad tenants give all the other tenants a bad rap for future investors. I mean, everyone, no one wants to get in. Some people don't want to get into investing because they hear, oh, I don't want to deal with bad tenants. And then some people don't want to rent. Be like, I don't want to get stuck with a bad landlord. You know, it's just one of those things where, but that it, it goes back to a, like you said, communication throughout the whole process. That's huge. And then two, this your screening process too, is not putting yourself in that situation where you have those professional tenants and then just dealing with people who are 
reasonable people who are going to get through this process with you, the landlord, you know, because it's just one of those spots. It sucks. It does. Hey, so Dave, I know we can keep talking about this and keep drinking, but you know what? My glass is empty. I got to refill and it's downstairs. Dave, where can listeners reach out and find out more about you? Sure. I got my podcast. So it's First Responders Wealth Network. You can find that anywhere, obviously. And uh, if you want to go to my website, 911wealthnetwork.com, I got an ebook and audio book there, or just uh, email me info at 911wealthnetwork.com. And, and Instagram too, at Dave Nider. So you can reach out to Very me. Cool. More active on that one. So yeah. Awesome. Any final last words of advice? Uh, just persevere. Just get through this. We're all going through it. I think like just connecting with people who are going through the same thing, mutual investors, things are changing daily. So just stay up to speed, reach out. That's why networking and relationships is huge during times like this. So just uh, don't fear real estate. It's still a great, great avenue and we're all, we'll all get through it together. Absolutely. Great advice. Thank you, Dave, for being on the show. And listeners, if you enjoy these kinds of podcasts where we're just drinking wine and, uh, and just talking and sharing your opinions, again, don't hold us to any of our opinions, please, yeah. because they are just that opinions. Let us know. Reach out to me. Reach out to Dave. One more. Sorry. If anyone's interested in a three unit in Hamilton, you reach out to me as well. So it's cash flowing and a great cap rate. <laughs> awesome. Perfect. Sounds good. Dave, thanks so much. Right, cheers. See you there. Hey guys, I just want to take a quick moment here and pause the podcast to introduce you to one of my favorite contractors, John from Blackjack Contracting Inc. And he has been serving the Niagara, Hamilton and Brantford areas for the past three years and has become the area's legal basement suite renovation specialist. He works with many investors that I know and some newer investors, some more experienced investors, and he converts single family homes into multiple units, as well as my favorite favorite strategy, the Burr strategy. So he's well-versed in those as well to make sure that we can achieve the maximum value of the property and the maximum ARV. He has also completed over 100 units from Brantford to Niagara Falls and everywhere in between as well. They do everything from permitting to the design to the final cleaning before listing our rentals for rent or for sale. And he's also a fully licensed electrical contractor. He's certified with ESA and he will take jobs of all sizes. So no job is too big. He's done a complete guts really from the ground up. So super impressed with his work and what he's been doing for fellow investors that I know as well. So if you wanted to reach out, his website is blackjack contractinginc.ca and you can ask him whatever questions you have. You can also reach out to him Instagram, which is at Blackjack Contracting Inc. And like he says, he knows that investing feels like the biggest gamble of our lives. So when you have Blackjack on your side, the house always wins. I will also add that there is currently a ban as of April 4th on new permits. So he will still actively work to the law's extent and actively work with investors to get projects planned out for when the ban is lifted. So that way you're not necessarily waiting and waiting and waiting. So guys, 100%, I recommend Blackjack Contracting. I will say that finding the right contractor is sometimes a hassle and getting a good one that works with investors that understands the numbers is going to be critical in our success, especially when doing the Burr strategy. So back to the show. Thanks so much for listening to Where Should I Invest with your host, Sarah Larby. Make sure to listen in next time. We'll catch you on the next episode of Where Should I Invest.